Talk to me about mentors, people that you look to or help you get your career going. With this kind of stuff, it's big dollars and big risk. And so I went to a person that had done 200 plus flips, had sold thousands of homes. And I said, can I work with you? I'll bring in leads and deals. Mm -hmm. You just make sure that we don't lose money on it. Welcome back to Cashflow, where we talk about turning properties into profits. I'm your host, Jason. I'm here with Hennish. Hennish, how are you doing today? Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I love having you here. Okay, for anybody who doesn't know, if you're a real estate agent, investor, or anything in the real estate industry in San Diego, it's six degrees of Hennish. Okay, <laughs> that's just the bottom line. And there's not a person that I've ever met in our industry who doesn't know Hennish? Okay, isn't it like, oh yeah, I know Hennish, or hey, I went to Michigan, or you know, they. There's always someone who knows you, has worked with you, and the great part is they only have great things to say about you. It's got to be nice to people. That's it, you know. And I know that reputation is currency, and so I always just try to keep that clean. You know, that's it. Just treat people honestly, and that's it. It's your secret is is uh, it's welcome because there's not enough nice people in our industry. There's a lot of ego. Why do you go? That's true. You, you see what you see. And then I think a lot of times well, people will put your guard down when they realize that you're not judging them. Right. Yeah, fair enough. President <clears throat> of Cal Home Co., where uh, 60% of your business has been ADUs, correct? Yeah. What we're building right now is mostly ADUs. It's a hot topic and everyone's got space for it. And it's like a financial no-brainer. All right. The difference is that... For you, compared to a lot of other people in the space, uh, your name's on it, right? Your construction company's behind it, and I believe, in addition, you also, I think you do luxury stuff as well, luxury builds? Uh, We're doing custom homes, and we like those, and they're good because the less, remodels are are hairy, you know? (laughs) Because you can only see so much, and we open a wall, and we're like, oh, this got Uh, worse, and I hate giving change orders and no one likes to get them. Right. Uh, But with ground ups, it's, we know exactly what we're getting into. We can get you a bid. It's going to finish at that bid. Yeah. You know, with remodels, it's a little bit more of a, a little bit more of an art than a science. Yeah, fair enough. So we're, we're enough. shifting away from those as much, but that's why ADUs are nice because they're usually ground up. Right. We know exactly what it's going to cost and get it done. Same with the custom homes. It's, we know we got the plans. We know exactly what we're doing. We get the material selections done right. and there's no surprises. Before you got there, you've had a journey, all right, in real estate. I want you to unpack a little bit about how you got in the industry and, you know, what got you to here. Yeah, I mean, first job out of college in 2002 was in the subprime mortgage world. Um, Seemed good. I liked sales, and so I I spent about nine months in Cincinnati after leaving Michigan. So I went to uh, Ohio for nine months to learn underwriting. Right moved to Chicago to do sales. Within the first month, I was a top sales guy. And my clients were loan officers, and we were right. selling 80-20 stated mortgages <laughs> on 228 arms. Yeah. There were 327 arms. And uh, sounded good to me. You know, we made good money, and it had a good good thing going. I got a little restless, and I got a little suspicious of the market as, as early as 2005. Right. Not smart enough to short sell anything or, or <laughs> figure that stuff out. But I was like, I don't think this can last forever. This doesn't right. make sense. It's so, too good to be true. It started to feel like this was too good to be true. I didn't understand how I was making a good living and everyone I gave a loan to could afford the same type of property that I lived right. in. After and looking at what they had on paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so enough. I was like, I'm get underwriting a little bit where this doesn't make sense. So I was getting antsy to either move out of that role or just go travel. Right. And, and uh, I got an opportunity 
to move to India, where I'm ethnically from, to run an outsourcing operation for a mortgage company to kind of augment our staff here in the U.S., uh, which was great. I took that opportunity and lived in India for a year. What, what's the biggest takeaway? I mean, not just the cultural aspect of, but how many people were you managing? Like, what was it like to manage that many people? Yeah, there's 11 different processes, right? And so they were directly managed by their manager in the U.S. So okay. I was working more as a liaison in India right. uh, to make sure that the guys were doing what they needed to, fill in any gaps of understanding, cultural issues, right. um, any concerns with the managers, dealing with the managers in India. <clears throat> so it was about 175 people wow. that we had there uh, working in those processes. And it was great. You know, they, uh, we had a company that we partnered with that was in charge of training them, getting everyone up, up to date, working through the systems. So, uh, you know, I was basically the client <laughs> for, right. for the company in, in India. And so I was the one representative, Got it. Um, which is great. It worked out well. And, you know, that's why a lot of companies do outsource to other companies because you can save, you know, 75% or more. Correct on your overhead to get data entry, basic stuff done. You know, right. the, the voice stuff is tougher in India because yeah. they've got tough accents, yeah. but all the data stuff is easy. And, and just a caveat on that, if you as a real estate professional, property management professional, haven't looked at outsourcing backend or administrative tasking, um, you're, you're missing out. After COVID where a lot of people were used to working home or got more comfortable working on a Zoom or a Slack type atmosphere, um, you'd be surprised now that you can actually do a lot using, you know, third-party contractors that might be in another part of our world. For sure. Even gotcha. within the U.S., you can might as well, you know, outsource right. that. And if it's a results-based job or if it's task-based, you can get it done outside. outside. I like it. Yeah. I, like, I, I personally, Golden West, we, we do that as well. So I'm a big fan of that. So you, you spent your time there and then you decided to come home. And it, what year is this and kind of how was how Yeah, was the transition so I was going? in India from like 2006 to mid-2007. Uh, 2007, I got to move to San Diego because the next task at that company I was working at straight out of college was the REO department, foreclosed homes. Good timing. Uh, so the president said the department's a mess. It's, it's, wor it's horrible. And it was uh, I took over an office that had stacks of files. Oh, my gosh. Three feet high off the desk and on the floors was coming. <clears throat> and so uh, I was like, I just came from an environment where we just worked virtually right. on the other side of the planet. Right. Why are we still inter-officing manila envelopes oh my gosh. of files with <laughs> appraisals in them uh, to, to other offices right. in Rancho Bernardo, right? In San Diego. So, Go figure. Uh, so within two months, I turned that process paperless and uh, put in systems to make that all paperless and sold houses very quickly for the company. Nice. Obviously at huge losses. Right. But at least it got done in two months as opposed to six months or a year. Right. Uh, and so at any given time, we had 2,000 properties in an inventory across the U.S. So I learned a little bit more about real estate then because we're getting houses in crappy condition. Right. We're having to evict the occupants or cash for keys them, fix it up if it makes sense, right. get BPOs, manage the contractors, and then sell it and, and hopefully you know get some proceeds to recoup some of the losses. A lot of times the bank was just servicing loans they had already sold. Right. Uh, so that added an extra layer of complexity in terms of reporting to the actual owners of these notes. What was the learning curve here? Uh, you know, you got out of college. I, I'm Real estate, that wasn't your, you didn't get a degree in real estate, right? Correct. No. So how, what was the learning curve like? How were you acquiring the experience to be as successful as you were or as efficient as you were in this industry? No, I mean, it's always still learning and just knowing what you know and knowing that what you don't know. Uh, right. With the underwriting, it was a lot of sitting next to someone and have them walk through a credit report with Got you. It. 
have them walk through how they read income and calculate income off of tax returns, how you look through an appraisal, and how you look through these different parts of a file. So once you understand those basics, then going and selling it was easier right. for me because we deal with these loan officers that are just hammer and phone, <laughs> and then to pass me files and say, you figure it out, tell me what we can do. Right. And I'm like, cool, but Fair I enough. could. And so as a result, I had one of the highest funding ratios in the company. I love it. Uh, because they're like, oh, you can underwrite on the spot, just do it. And so I, had, uh, that was useful, uh, but I'm still always learning how to do right. these things better, uh, and then things change, you know. And so uh, when I was doing, same with <laughs> when I went to India, you know, I asked my manager, I was like, I don't know anything about servicing. <laughs> I don't know about payment processing. I don't know about escrow accounts. Right. I don't know how these things work. My training was, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. Good, actually good words though. I mean, it really, sometimes you just gotta get, get roll your sleeves up, get your hands in there and figure it out. Yeah, for sure. And it's nothing is too complicated. And once you dig into it a little bit and you're like, okay, it's all simple addition or right. subtractions. There's no algebra involved. So it's pretty, <laughs> pretty basic for the most part. Um, REOs, great time that we're getting to the market crash. Talk to me about the crash, how it affected what you were doing then and how you got into basically construction, multifamily, real estate itself, not just mortgages. Yeah, when I was sitting in an office most of the day and signing off on houses being sold and managing my asset managers that were actually in charge of the houses, um, I would meet a lot of brokers. They were all coming in thirsty for business, right? right? Trying to bribe me with tickets to Lakers games <laughs> hey. and Louis Vuitton purses for girlfriends that I didn't have and stuff like that. <laughs> And so um, I never took any bribes, but I was like, these dudes are out here making an extra zero on their income from what I'm making. Right. Granted, they're working hard, but I was like, I like that they're out in the field. They're out. They're not stuck in, in a desk right. behind, you know, in a corporate wall for hours a day. And so I, I like that because I like the variety in business and I like the sales and I like to do deals. I like deals. Yeah. And you're kind of only doing deals when you're running an REO department for a bank. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so... Uh, so I, I knew I wanted to get out eventually. I just didn't know how to make that transition. And maybe I didn't have the confidence to go self-employed right away. Right. So I ended up, um, that company got merged with another company and I ended up starting to do consulting for a private firm for more mortgage servicing. Yeah. So equally boring job, but at least I was flying around and staring at Marriott's, which <laughs> is fun for about a year. And right. then I get restless on that too. Um, ultimately I, I got connected with the guy that had been flipping houses for about 30 years. Got it was ready to retire, but wanted to keep his operations going. Sure. And so he plugged me in as CEO of that company mm -hmm. uh, here in San Diego. Oh, wow. And so I started that in 2013. Got it. And um, I understand that you did that for a little bit before you went on and did your own company. Yes. Right. That, and that's what you have now, Cal Home Co. Correct. Okay. I want to ask you, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty, like, talk to me about mentors, people that you look to or help you make that transition and, and get your career going? Yeah, you know, with this kind of stuff, it's big dollars and big risk. And so right. when I got my own company in 2014, I went to a person that had done 200 plus flips, right? had sold thousands of homes, had managed an organization uh, of salespeople. And I said, let's, can, can I work with you? Right. I'll, I'll bring in leads and deals. Mm -hmm. You just make sure that we don't lose money on these things and I'll split this with you. And so we did probably about 30 deals that way. Wow. And so that was a, a good learning curve of how to put the deals together, how to do the contracts, how to manage the project managers. Um, and so that, that was 
what I'd advise for anyone to do is when you right. start this kind of stuff, work with someone that's more experienced. Right. You're going to have to share some of your income, but it's worth it because at least you're getting deals done. Right. Um, and so that, that, that was helpful. You mm-hmm. know, he ultimately turned out to be less than an honest person. Sure. Um, okay. And it, that's where the quote, without accounting, you don't have accountability comes from <laughs> because right. we didn't have any accounting. And, right. and that should have been my first red flag. Slash find a money in a bank account. Yeah. And it's all being yeah. tra- kept track of on spreadsheets. Like that doesn't make sense. And not just one bank account. It was like 15 bank accounts. Yeah. That's just, that was yes. another red flag. Right. So. Um, but it's part of the learning process. Like what you had a career in mortgage got yourself rolling into the real estate industry, partnered, where you learned experience, but you also learned things to not do the next time around, basically. Correct, yeah, you know, in terms of vetting who you get in bed with right. professionally. Right? right. If I had just done a quick uh, lean search on this person, I would have seen that he had $2 million in judgments gotcha. from prior lawsuits that he had lost from defrauding other people. That's interesting. Right, and That's so, uh, you know, the Khan and Karn man stands for confidence, and, yeah. and I had confidence in him because I thought he had all had all this success, which he did, but maybe he squandered the money just as fast. Right. When, <clears throat> when you got going to start your own company here, let's talk about now you got some experience in your belt. What was and what is your investment philosophy? What are you focused on, and how are you making that work? You know, I think one of the first things to invest in is good people. Absolutely. Um, and having good people that that trust you and, and, and want to work with you and have some loyalty to you is, is useful. So I've had people that have been working with me for 10 plus years now. That's amazing. And, uh, and a lot of people stick with me for a long time, partly because I'm helping them advance their careers and their business opportunities. So that's helpful. Right. right? Because now people that work with me know that they've got me on their side. Absolutely. And, and, I'm, and I'm just going to shamelessly plug that you are, again, a testament to you and the people I know in the industry. I have seen you and watched other younger individuals in this space go to you and learn from you and sing your praises because of the experience and knowledge you've imparted on them. Yeah. So it, it's awesome. It's awesome to see the younger generation learn from you. Ha- happily. And, and, and it's, uh, I'm happy to share it, but at the same point, it's always nice when people are like willing to accept it. Right. Right. Don't, <laughs> sure. don't, don't think you know Do everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of puffed up chests. It's unnecessary. You know, just be humble when you need to be and, and try to be cooperative because even if you're on opposite sides of the transaction, you're on the same side of business, which is get the deal done. Right. And so, um, well, let's talk about deals. What is that? What drives you? What motivates you? I like to get deals done. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I do. You know, and it's not always the numbers because it's also terms. Right. It's also creative financing. Is it, you know, can you get things that work for you that help make the deal more palatable that also works for the seller? Right. And so uh, a lot of the deals that I've gotten through are like that. Right. right? Where I'm getting subject to deals, right, to their existing financing. Seller carries. Right. Long escrows, lease options, and I've done all of these a bunch of times. And a lot of times it's just asking and then explaining. And if it's a fit and they say yes, well, cool, that's a win for me. Tell, tell me about the deal tree. Like, <clears throat> how does it come? And more importantly, like, you know, how do you pick a deal? Yeah, uh, I get deals from most, a lot of times internal mm-hmm. from my own staff that are either out door knocking or lead genning, however they do and trying to get direct to seller as much as possible right. for houses and stuff, or just properties and land. Uh, also trying to increase my agent network of people that know me that aren't part of my organization right. that still work with me because they've sold me houses or would like to. And knowing that when I say no, I don't just say no. I say right. no because, and hopefully make it an educational experience so they right. can 
drill down on my buy boxers so they know how to set expectations with their client better of why this will or will not work right. for an investor buyer or for a cash buyer versus putting it on the market or trying to find another end user buyer. So are you telling me with all your networking and all the internal uh, tools that you have, you're saying no more than you're saying yes? <laughs> you, say, you, ask, you ask that like you're surprised, but you know that's the answer, oh, right? <laughs> Absolutely. There's a, you're teeing me up. And yes, at least, <laughs> at least nine out of 10 times I'm saying no, probably higher than that. It might be 99 out of 100 times. Is that the key to your success? Uh, it's, there's not just one key, you know, but it is being prudent, right? It's, right. it's also trying to pick the things that are going to win. Uh, and, and a lot of times it is an emotional decision, right? Right. I get to a house. I'm like, Oh my God, it's a great view. It's a great location. It's got a lot of potential. And so then I might overpay for a house. Okay. Right? So for example, I just did that recently in Scripps Ranch where a client, uh, that I met said, Hey, I'm interested in this house. Can you run out and meet me on a weekend? I'm not really a weekend type <laughs> drive buyers around type person. I'm like, I tell you what, if you guys go check it out and you like it, I'll be there immediately. Right. And we'll write that offer up. So they went to it, and uh, they're like, ah, it seems like it's too much work for us. And uh, I was like, I get that. And so I wanted to go anyways. I was in the area. So I was like, let me pop in. Yeah. And I was like, are you sure you don't want this house? Because if you don't buy it, I'm buying it. <laughs> right? Because I liked it a lot. I was right, like, I right. could see my family living here. It's corner lot, long driveway, pool, golf course, the golf putting green thing, oh, half-court basketball. Nice. You know, it was like, checked all the boxes. Right. And, and he's like, ha, 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 that's funny. And I didn't. <laughs> So a month later, I sent him like a gift. And he said, what's this for? I was like, well, thanks for leading me onto that property because I bought it. He's like, you did? Yeah. I was like, well, yeah, I wasn't joking when I said I'm going to buy it. But I had, there's 13 other offers on it. Whoa. And I wasn't the highest offer. Okay. But it just came down to creating that rapport with that listing agent. Right. Letting her know I was going to get it done. Like, I'll close it. Yeah. And it's because the, the offer they had accepted jerked him around, yeah. asked for a massive price reduction. And, um, you know, she just wanted someone that would perform and did what they said right. they would do. Yeah. Go figure out. And, and so I did. And now she's happy about it. And uh, we're getting that project done. I'm really excited. But that was an emotional purchase because I was like, I'm going to have to break some comps to get this thing sold and make some money. And I guess I would follow that with like, what is then the ideal investment? What is, is it a location? Like, what are you looking for? Because just as you described, even emotions will get involved in some of the deals. So. What's your go-to? Yeah, it's, you know, you've got to plug it into your spreadsheet if you don't know the numbers off the top of your head, right? You can buy a house for 500, put in 100,000 and sell for 700. People would say you made $100,000, but the reality is you probably made about 40, right? Because you just had all those holding costs. Yeah. You got to pay commissions. Yeah. You got to pay closing costs, et cetera, et cetera. You got to pay taxes on it. So you might walk away with 25, 30, 40,000 bucks. For three, four, five months worth of work. Right. And putting out all that cash, right? So yeah. you might've had to put up $100,000 in equity right. to make that transaction happen. Um, so yeah, so, you know, when I'm looking at deals, I'm looking, can I make at least 50 or 60,000 net at Got the it. end of this thing? That's my goal. Got it. Uh, and if I hit it out of the park, could I make a hundred? Nah, that's amazing. Is that one of your, is that an example of one of your better deals or tell me a, a deal that you love that you think back on like, Hey, um, I did it this way and it, and it worked out well. Um, yeah, we had a house up in Mount Soledad, and it was another house like that Scripps Ranch house I was telling you about where beautiful I was area, like, beautiful area. I like this location, and I could see through the jungle that was the backyard. <laughs> right, it was a jungle, it was a backyard. It was on the code compliance list. God, I was uh, going to get fines. Because regularly. they were getting fines, and that's oh, why the person ultimately sold, because of code compliance getting involved. And uh, once we were getting it done and getting it done, I was like, man, I could see myself living here with my family. Right. Um, it wasn't 
it, it was a great location, but it wasn't where I wanted to live versus where I, where I do now and where we preferred to live. Uh, but I knew that some other family would pay a premium to get right. that. And so we put, you know, we bought for 1.1 million, put in about 400,000. At the time, comps wow. were around 1516. Got it. But I sold it for 2 million. Wow. Okay, got it. Because I knew someone came in day one said, take this offer right now. We're giving you full price. And I was like, well, that's pretty good. I'll take that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we didn't even get to show it to any other people. Really? <laughs> yeah. How much of this is <clears throat> the market that we're in and how much of this is underwriting a deal? And let me back up by saying, like, where'd you learn to underwrite a deal? Like, how, I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, underwriting is underwriting. You know, you, you learn the loan underwriting. That's different than trying to do the flip underwriting. But, you know, from my first mentors that I had, the first company that I was working with temporarily for about six months, and then a second mentor where I did about 30 deals, we had various versions of like a flip calculator. Okay, got it. And so you plug in the purchase price, you plug in your uh, estimated rehab, right. plug in how long it's gonna take, and your all your variables for how much your hard money costs. If you have second lien investors, how much that costs. Right. If you're having to split this with anything. So it's all in there, and it'll tell you how much your net profit is. Got it. And so, um, I do those calculations in my head now because I've done this enough, right. but I still have it. I still Got have those it. spreadsheets. And so I'm now training my agents and anyone else that wants to listen how to do that. I've got right. like YouTube videos that say oh, that. 20 minutes, here's the spreadsheet, here's how you plug things in, here's how you can check your numbers. Because nice. that example I gave earlier, people don't understand that until you see where that extra miscellaneous went to. Right. You know, you think you're making 100000 well, that's gross. You know, you yeah. don't realize that 60000 of that is holding costs and expenses. Right. Just a 10% miss on a million or $2 million project is a huge amount of money. Correct. Yeah. So uh, what is that? Talk to me about what you're telling then the young agents. Like, how are you mentoring them? What one or two pieces of advice are you giving them so to set them up for success? Um, it depends on the deal. You know, for us, it's nice to be able to offer a seller options. Look, we can get this on the market, we can clean it up, we'll go through a staging console, we'll repaint some of your walls, we'll clean up your house a little bit and try to get top of, top of market. Right. But it means we're gonna get 50, 100 people through the house. Right. If they want cash right away or if it's a special circumstance where they need cash right away because they're going into foreclosure, well then it still comes down to, does the deal make money? Right. If not, is it gonna have to be a short sale? If not, you know, do we have to bring in another investor because it doesn't fit my buy box or I don't wanna take this on or, it's going to need permits, and that's going to take four months, things like that. So those are all variables that, that really impact it. This is a huge differentiator. So different than your maybe your standard real estate agent, you're able to go into a client's or prospect's house. You're able to offer them different solutions that revolve around either just making a deal work or adding like construction value, and that's what sets you apart when you're making a deal happen? It, you know, it's nice to have those tools in my tool belt, but a lot of times, if you're talking to someone, they know what needs to happen, and you right. know what needs to happen. Yeah. Sometimes we get to that answer by the process of elimination. Got it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And people so, know what they they know what needs to happen. You just got to help them get there. To for sure. That, right. Know. And especially if it's like a pre foreclosure type situation, they might know that their solution is to sell, but they don't want to. And so we'll go through all the other options. Can we do A? No. Can we do B? No. Can we get C? And so once you go through them all, well, what's that leave? I guess I got to sell the house. Talking about prospects and talking about young <clears throat> agents or real estate investors that you're mentoring. You, you mentioned something before and I want you to, to expound on it. Lead generation. Yeah. Lead generation. Yeah. Talk to me about that. What are you telling them about lead gen? 
You know, it's it, that's the foundation of your business, yeah. right? You have to put down all of these feelers out to people that you know, people that hopefully they'll introduce you to, people that you're circle prospecting from business from your existing brokerage or from your team that you can try to pound into and create people that know, like, and trust you that when they're ready to do something, that they know to call you, right. that you've been valuable to them, that you're providing a service and value. Instead of just asking for business today, know that if you can be helpful to them, they might call you back in six months or a year or three years from now if you keep in touch with them. And so doing that lead gen and having a huge network of people right. is helpful, right? And so, um, you, you know, I'm trying to have a good reputation and be well-known in San Diego because this is the only place where I do business. Right. And I don't want people Got to it. forget, who do I call if I need XYZ done? Right. Well, hopefully they know they can call me and at least I can point them in the right direction. Right. Uh, same with anyone that's trying to build their real estate business. You want every person you know and that you meet to know that you're their go-to specialist for real estate and that they can ask you. And I haven't seen you doing a lot of dancing on TikTok, so it isn't just social media <laughs> that makes this happen, right? I, it's Social media, I think, is useful as a validator, right. right? I've heard of this person. Let me look at their social media and see if they're actually selling houses. Got it. Right, and so I think that's helpful, uh, but it seems like it's more peer-to-peer. Right. Right. I think agents do that for other agents. Like, right. is this a brand-new agent? You know, obviously, I check on MLS. Like, have they sold houses this right. year? Right, right, right. How much am I going to have to coach this person through this transaction? versus um, not. But, I, you know, it's nice to have on there, and it might get you recognized, which has happened occasionally <laughs> for me, which is nice. But for the most part, I'm not getting blind contacts from clients that are saying, okay, right. I want you to sell my house. That's how I do here. get connections from agents that say, hey, could you work with me on this flip? Right. Or could you, you know, could I work with your construction company on this project? Right. And so I'll, I'll get more peer-to-peer. And I feel right. like that's uh, that's what it is in terms of, the Facebooks and the Instagrams, you get a lot of professionals that connect with each other right. and share deals. But you might not find your consumers and your clients on there. It, make, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, it, it also helps those of us who don't like to dance on TikTok. <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with it, but it, it can't be the only thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as we kind of move forward, we're in a changing market. What, Without getting the crystal ball out, like what do you see and how are you moving your business forward um, as we close out 2023? let's say one, three, five, what are your goals? Yeah, my goal has been to really get into the multifamily world. And I'm talking 16 plus units and as big as we can get. And so I've got several of these things in the pipeline. Um, and it came down to being able to underwrite. And it right. always keeps coming back right. to this, Financing right? Financing has a part to this, huh? For sure. And it keeps coming back to underwriting of because it, it's really complicated to take a 10,000 square foot lot and saying, right. what can I turn this into? Right. And uh, that adds a layer of complexity, but just from experience and connecting with good architects that have taught me how to read the code and how to interpret it and how to extrapolate from that, this is how many doors it makes. Right. And this is how much that's going to cost to build. And this is how much your NOI is going to be, your net operating income. And based on an average cap rate, here's how much that property could be worth. So whether we flip it or keep it because the NOI is good, um, that's that's the kind of underwriting I'm doing now. And so I'm now doing that enough where I'm starting to be able to figure that out in my head now. Zoning, uh, density, all these are coming into play now into your underwriting, is that correct? Correct, yeah. So understanding all the different overlays, this is tough because it's such a moving target, Right. but knowing that also the city and the state have been pushing legislation to make it easier right. and more liberal to add more units, to add more square footage, to add more livable space onto a lot. Um, and so if it gets better, great. At the minimum, I've you know 
underwritten it for today's code. Yeah. Right. And so that's how I'm doing it. Uh, but there's a lot of overlays between complete communities, sustainable development areas, opportunity zones, et cetera, et cetera. Right. There's so many different options to do this, uh, where if you add affordable, you get density bonuses. Right, right. Where, where if you're in a certain area, you might not need to do parking and things like that. So right. each city's different, too, which is a pain also. That's true. The city of San Diego's got one set of rules, but if you're in Vista, it's different. If right. you're in a national city, it's different, and so on and so forth. So it's co- complicated, but it's nice to be able to get some baseline work done and then confirm it with my architects. Ah, that's amazing. Uh, last question. And, and as we close out, I think this is important. What are you going to tell someone who wants to get into the multifamily space or the investment space? What are you going to tell them for someone brand new? What are you going to guide them with? Yeah, you can't shake enough hands, one. And two, you know, get one or more partners, you know, that know what they're doing. You can't partner with your buddy that doesn't know anything, (laughs) right? Find someone that knows what they're doing and saying, can I work with you? Can I provide value to you? And along the way, you get to learn everything they know. And with, so that's the way to do it. With all the success that you've had, I mean, obviously that's fantastic. Now that you're in a different space, what have you been doing passion project wise? I mean, what, what's, I mean, we do this stuff more than just for our, for work or for money or even for family. What, what are we passionate about? What do you have going on in that space? Um, just for fun? Is that what we're getting at? I, I don't have like a passion project like I'm like saving people in Haiti or anything like nah, that. Ah, not yet? I, Gosh, no, I don't have I, that. I thought you were a guy. No, but I, I, I do, uh, I'll admit, I, uh, I volunteer on the board of a women's health center. Nice. And so it's uh, offering uh, birthing and natural birth solutions for women. That's awesome. That don't necessarily want the uncomfortableness of a hospital. Right. Um, so that's near my house, and I've been on the board of directors for that thing for about three, four years and trying to encourage it. And it's nice. We've got some pretty generous donors that have given substantial funds that we can give out to people right. and allow them to experience a better birthing or post and pre, pre-pregnancy experiences um, versus having to go to a hospital. It's better when we've gotten enough nickels to be able to do things that help others than just, you know, putting them back in our pocket. So for sure. No, I, that's, that's a nice thing. I, I do like that. Uh, and, and, you know, that helps a lot for mortality and, and, and emotional well-being as well, right? mental well-being. I, I can't thank you enough. Again, <clears throat> Hannah, I can't say enough good things about you that other people in the community already know. You're a staple to a lot of us here who have been around in the industry and I'm like, oh yeah, I know Hennish. Oh, I've done a deal with Hennish. What a great guy. Thank you so much for imparting your knowledge and your information to our listeners. For everybody else, stay tuned. We'll see you again. This is Cashflow where we're talking about turning properties into profits.